Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk and thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Today I have a very special guest with me, Kalita Himes, who is a licensed clinical social worker. So Kalita, thank you so much for being here with me today. Jessica, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. So yes, I am a licensed clinical social worker. I am a full-time school social worker based out of the Chicagoland area. In addition to that, I also provide individual family group counseling um, through my um, business, which is called ERB Consulting. Um, I've spoken at um, events, workshops, and I do consultations. So yes, very busy social worker here. Oh, absolutely. And before we hit record, I asked you about your recent experience at Harvard. So when you just said, you know, you've attended events and spoken. I know that was amazing for me to see you and other creators I follow. And it was such a rare opportunity. So Harvard basically over last winter looked at over a hundred TikToks and narrowed it down to 25 mental health creators who are using their content to talk about mental health And somehow I was fortunate enough to be one of those creators. And so throughout the month of April, we attended virtual um, Zoom meetings. The first inaugural summit that Harvard's public chan um, of public, Harvard's chan school of public health, I apologize for that. Um, So they created this event. And essentially what they wanted to do was make sure that mental health content creators are pushing out evidence-based mental health research-based mm-hmm. mental health, because oftentimes when we look at issues within mental health and public health, there are a lot of things out there that are not correct. And so what a great opportunity for us to partner with researchers and scientists um, at Harvard to push out content that is um, research-based. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, so obviously you just said you're very busy, but one of the things you highlighted is that you're a full-time school social worker. So can you kind of discuss your journey to becoming a school social worker and what got you interested in working in the school system? Absolutely. So I've always known that I wanted to be a school social worker. And um, one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to start out on this journey was because in school, I was invisible. I did not have any representation of people that looked like me. I had counselors who didn't believe in me. And I wanted to make sure that when I got my social work degree, that I was able to be present in schools where I can be the voice for many students who can't advocate for themselves, to have Black students who see someone that looks like them. And that is my biggest reason for becoming a school social worker. And I'm also a racial equity leader at my school. So I'm very passionate about 
talking to teachers, having these courageous conversations about race and basically making sure that teachers are having um, equitable outcomes and you know, making sure they're using equitable practices in their, in their pedagogy in their classrooms. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your experience going through school. And I feel like everybody that goes in, at least everybody I know that goes into the mental health field kind of has their own personal Mm -hmm. story. And so thank you for sharing part of your story. But also, I love that you were able to take a, I'm going to label it negative. You can tell me if that is not a wrong, is not the correct word, negative experience going through school, not, not feeling seen, heard, not having individuals that look like you and turning it into a really positive change for yourself, but also I know your students as well. Absolutely. That is correct. I would definitely um, explain that as being a very negative experience. I had a counselor who did not believe in me, who told me that college was not in my trajectory, Um, but I struggled. I struggled in high school, right? And I didn't have parents who understood, um, like, what could this be? Like, what's Mm -hmm. going on? So it wasn't until I was an adult that I was actually diagnosed with ADHD, and it put so wow. much perspective on like why I struggled so much with executive functioning and focusing and being present and being super impulsive and not really caring about school. So yeah. um, I love to share that story with students. And I often disclose to my students, I do have ADHD. So I know what it feels like to mm-hmm. have difficulty focusing class, not wanting to start a task. So uh, mm-hmm. I really like bring my experiences into uh, the school setting so that students know that I'm real, I'm human. Yeah. Like, hey, <laughs> teachers and, and our staff actually have their own issues too. Yeah, yeah. I When you just shared that the school counselor said that, you know, college is not for you, all those things. And, you know, it sounds like you had very obvious struggles. Like if you you know, had ADHD, it was undiagnosed and just trying for me to conceptualize that a school counselor would just kind of dismiss this as whole oh, college is not for you rather than exploring and trying to get you supports and helps yeah. and figure out like what's, what's going on? Why is this? I just think that back in, I'm going to age myself, but when I was in high school, I don't think that um, black students were, well, for me in my personal yeah. Black students were often overlooked. And when we were struggling, it was due to being lazy or just Mm -hmm. not caring. And teachers just weren't trained to understand and student and counselors weren't really trained. Um, Unless you had a parent who was advocating for you, then Mm -hmm. a lot of times you may have a counselor who just. um, And I don't want to say that that's still the case, but there are counselors out there who aren't given 100% to their students. I'm very mm-hmm. fortunate to work in a high school where we have 15 amazing counselors who work really hard at advocating for our students and making sure that they're receiving the services and the interventions that are necessary. Yeah, yeah. And I know you said you were going to age yourself, but I feel like at least, obviously, this is me coming from a white perspective, but working with some of my um, Black clients, they have talked, unfortunately, about similar experiences Mm -hmm. of kind of just being labeled as lazy, disruptive uh, behavior problem, things like that. Um, Kids that want to do real well and just don't have the support. And then, I mean, I know the the 
podcast today is not about like systemic racism and all those factors, but unfortunately I hear that now in 2023. But it does play. Yeah, and it definitely plays a huge role in how we see our students. And oh, it's really important that we have teachers and staff who are trauma-informed. There may be a student who is experiencing a traumatic incident, and they may come in. They may be angry. They may be irritable. They may not want to work. And instead of saying this kid is oppositional, right, mm-hmm. let's look at the reasons why. Let's dig into ACEs, which is the adverse childhood experiences, and see, hey, this kid comes to us with some trauma. How can we connect them with the appropriate resources um, and interventions? Absolutely. So we're kind of already getting into some of this. So I just wanted to like ask you this broad question to start with is what is the role of a school social worker? So, and you can even talk about the various roles that you have, mm-hmm. interventions you provide, mm-hmm. wherever you really want to take this. So school social workers wear many, many hats. Um For many years, I was actually a social worker, primarily with students in the special education department. So students that I worked with had either a learning disability, a developmental disability, or an emotional disability and needed supports. And so I was mandated to um, provide social work minutes. And Mm -hmm. when you are a social worker that works instead, we are responsible for providing individual and group work to students. We are a big part of the IEP team where we come up with social emotional goals to support students. Um, And we attend yearly and three-year conferences to make sure that these goals are being met. Is the student showing growth and success? Um, But most school social workers, whether you work with the general educational population or the SPED population, we are providing a lot of social emotional support. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I do is I run weekly groups and the groups that I run as a school social worker are based on the CASEL um, competencies. And what CASEL is, um, is a collaborative for academic, social and and emotional learning. And so within CASEL, there's five competencies that we want to make sure our students are receiving, which include um, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and decision-making skills. So the groups that I run are targeting one of those five competencies. So um, I actually run a DBT skills in schools. Um, I also have a trauma-informed group that I run. It's called CBIS. It's for students who are experiencing uh, significant trauma and they need support with regulating. Um, I also push into classrooms and provide social-emotional lessons to the teachers. So once a month, um, I will push into a classroom and we'll do a lesson about um, thinking traps. How do we avoid thinking traps Mm -hmm. and how do we reframe that? Or um, one of the things that I also do is push into our health classes to talk about suicide prevention and how to get teachers and students to talk more about suicide and what kind of preventative services can we have in the school um, so that our students are feeling comfortable when they're Mm -hmm. experiencing that. Oh my gosh, I provide restorative circles. So if there's any harm that's done between faculty even or students, um, I do a lot of circles. I go into the classrooms to make sure that the classroom community feels safe and that, you know, we're coming up with these agreements on how to get through these processes. Um, And then I just did a professional development for the faculty and staff as we 
just entered back into school last year, uh, I mean, last week on anxiety and stress. What is the difference between stress and anxiety? So I do a lot. Yeah. No, that literally when I was listening to you talk and then reflecting on how you introduce yourself and all of the things you do, I'm making an assumption you're a person that likes to be busy and do a lot of different things based on everything you've shared that you do. You don't have a choice in schools, right? There's no, you know, one of the misconceptions is that, oh my gosh, people who work in the schools haven't made, they get 10 summers off and their jobs are so cush. Oh my God. I'm like, I say that I do crisis social work. I'm an ER Mm -hmm. social worker. I put out so many fires and deal with so many crises throughout the day. Um, And I know we'll get into this later, but there's such an increase in depression and anxiety. So a lot of my days are spent doing risk assessments and making sure that students are getting the services and supports that they need outside of school as well. No, that that's amazing. And yeah, I, I mean, one of the reasons I love having people on this podcast, and I've said this to you before we hit record, is learning from other people that do things different than me, that have expertise, and just listening to you. Like, I had an idea of what school social workers do, but hearing everything you just listed, I would have never, you know, fathomed that you all do all of those things. So thank I'm you sure for I'm everything you do. Things that we do, but yeah. <laughs> It's, it's not a cushion. We don't just make DCFS reports. You know, that's yes. another thing. The workers take your children away. No, we want your children to be at school and thriving. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions about social work in general, but um, school social workers, we're, we're in the trenches with this, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen how kids have struggled since the pandemic. We've seen the increase in mental health issues. So, um, and we are, there's license, we're licensed professionals in the school setting and we do provide really good therapeutic supports for our Mm -hmm. students. Absolutely. So you already kind of touched on some misconceptions, like that you have a cush job because you have the, you know, 10 weeks off in the summer or, you know, that the only role of social workers broadly is to, you know, call social services, take your kids away. What are some other misconceptions about what a school social worker is or what they do, if there are any more. Another big misconception is that when we are meeting with students, we're just like having fun and in the office, just like hanging out, playing games. No, if you walk into my group room and you see me playing a Jenga game, it is a Jenga game that's talking about life skills. Pull the orange block and answer this question, right? So I do do play games with Mm -hmm. my kids, but they're social emotional games with the goal of, walking away with some really good life skills, lessons, some social skills. Um, Yeah, so I don't know any other like really Mm -hmm. big misconceptions with school social work, but I think that um, a lot of schools don't actually sometimes respect that there are mental health professionals in the schools and they Mm -hmm. always go to like outside providers to come in and bring in these professional development programs when you actually have so many amazing clinicians housed in the school. So that is one thing that I personally struggle with is trying to get my administration to see like, hey, like you don't have to keep paying all this money to bring in these people who can do the same things that you have staff doing. So I think they're um, since the pandemic are really seeing like how we're showing up uh, more intensely and really putting in programs and preventative programs to make sure our students are successful. 
Yeah. And hearing you say that, it, it just, I mean, it sounds like since the pandemic, they're recognizing like your role, your skills, your knowledge, your expertise more so than before. But as somebody that works with kids and teens, I always talk about with parents, talk about with providers that I work with, like school is the place where kids are spending most of their time. If we put more mental health workers in the school system, it would so much more possibly impact their mental health. They're not having to, you know, worry about transportation barriers to get to, you know, therapy or reducing access. barriers to access with like finances, things like that. And so I'm glad it sounds like you and your coworkers are getting recognized more that you should have always been recognized, but it, it, I don't know, blows my mind when schools don't have mental health support. Cause I'm like, that's where you can get the kids like increased services. That's where mm-hmm. you're going to see. And I know we'll talk about this later, like mental health struggles come out. We're reducing barriers to care. Um, so I'm sorry, that's been your experience that no you weren't yep. valued or recognized. Yep. Thank you. So I know you talked about when listing the million things that you do in the school, you know, working with staff and things like that. So I was just wondering kind of how does a school social worker work with other staff, collaborate as well as with parents and guardians to really help provide the best outcomes for students? So Friday, uh, Monday is what's called our freshman kickoff day. So on Mondays, um, only freshmen are in the building as they get acclimated to high school. And so um, the school social workers meet with every team. And so my school is really large. So we have 15 counselors, five social workers, and five teams. And so we're in five different PSS teams, right? And so On Monday, I will be going into the auditoriums and meeting with kids, letting them know what my role is. Um, We also have a very good like family handbook that parents have upon um, registration and enrollment where they like see who's on their team Mm -hmm. because we want to make sure that parents know as they're incoming freshmen and just new kids as well that you do have support in the building and how does your school guidance council differentiate from your school social worker? What does the dean do? So we're very informative um, with our parents at the very beginning. Um, we let parents know what different groups are offered for kids, if they may need a social skills group or like a lunch group to enhance those social skills because it's scary coming in as a high school student. Um, but I actually meet individually with every single freshman on my caseload as well as every new or transfer student, just so they know who I am, what my services are and how they can access me. Wow. Wow. I just, I I know you are doing your job, but just like listening to you, like I can just tell how passionate you are and how much you care about your students. And I'm reflecting on like schools in my area and granted, I only know this from my patients and I'm like, I know that many schools in my area don't have these types of resources or even like their social workers are not nearly as passionate yeah. as yeah. you are. So, and I'm like tearing up. I don't know if you, and people can't see me, but like, just like listening to you, I can tell how much you care about your students. I do. You know, you have to have a passion to be in this field. 
you can't not care about a student and show up to work every day. Like they, like, I know that every day I'm making a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like my passion. I love it. I'm just really glad to have a job that I love. Um, Every day I feel like I'm making a difference and I am that person that I didn't have when I was in high school. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. So we kind of already alluded that we're going to talk about this later, but what are some of the main mental health challenges or just other challenges that you see students facing currently? Um, When we look at mental health, there has been definitely an increase in students that have uh, depression and anxiety. There's been an increase in students who are needing Um, hospitalization, whether it's inpatient or outpatient or partial hospitalization, because their depression and anxiety is just so debilitating that they can't perform successfully at school, whether it's panic attacks or or fears of some sort. So there has definitely been an increase in mental health issues. Um, I'm not sure about other states, but in the state of Illinois, students do get five mental health days per year with no So we can have a student who calls in um, and the parent could put in the attendance that we're using our mental health day. So with no questions asked. Isn't that awesome? What? Like I am (laughs) flabbergasted. And the reason I have like, and I know I'm cutting you off right here, but I have had, because I'm a psychologist, I work in the hospital, but I have like a day and a half outpatient. So my outpatient availability is very limited and working with kids and teens. I always say, you know, when school starts back up, unfortunately, like you're going to have to miss some school likely because I'm only here a day and a half, things like that. And I've had parents tell me that even with a doctor's note from me, their school won't count it as like an excused Mm. absence, even if they're like just coming in an hour late or leaving an hour early, like, and so I'm just comparing that to the fact that Illinois gives five mental health days to students, like stark difference. Yes. And we have students that use it. And one thing that I love the most about that, it is actually ending this stigma that I'm not supposed to suffer. Like I can't miss school. So it's been great um, to have that for students. Um, I have a kid who is now entering into his sophomore year in college, and it was so funny. I think it was his junior year. He goes, um, Mom, I need to use a mental health day. I'm like, whatever. He's like, you're, and, and I work at his school, which is hilarious. He's like, okay, you're a social worker at my school, and I know that I have peers who use this, so you're not going to let me use it? And I'm like, no, but I did, because he did. He expressed to me that he's just feeling overwhelmed, and I'm like, you yeah. know what? You can use your mental health day. And he was like, this is like great. And mm-hmm. I know that other students feel that way as well. Um, and other issues that we're seeing as most definitely the impacts of social media on esteem. You know, you're not getting likes or views that really yeah. impact the way a student sees themselves. Um, and it's getting better. But, you know, the last two years, we were seeing a big um, deficit in social skills. Just yeah. because we were in in person learning, there was so much just learning loss, but also um, loss of connectedness and social skills. So kids have had trouble coming in with um, how do I feel a sense of belonging in this school, and you know where is my community, where are my people, 
um, how do I even start making friends again? So a lot of the groups that we have, especially with our freshmen, focus on that relationship building, skill yeah. building. No, I love that you highlighted all of those things because when I think of student mental health, like, yes, we see the anxiety, depression, but, you know, social media, I wasn't even thinking about that, but I was definitely thinking like the social skills and adjustment, because if you don't know how to socially interact, if you don't know how to make friends or it's hard for you to do so, that's definitely going to impact your mental health and also impact probably your learning, your desire to show up to school, all of those things. Yeah. So social media definitely has, um, one of the things that we've implemented in our school actually last year is a no cell phone policy. Mm-hmm. So kids cannot have cell phones when they enter into a classroom. We actually have cell phone holders okay. where you are to put your cell phone in. And because we want kids to not be distracted, we want them mm-hmm. to be present. We know how much harm social media can do. So we're trying our best to prevent that as much as we can. Can I ask how the students felt? about the no cell phone policy, if you know. Well, listen, they hate it. And I know <laughs> that I was not telling a big secret, but kids yeah. are creative. Let's just say that they're creative. Yeah. They okay. have multiple cell phones. They, <laughs> oh, I don't have my phone today, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's like we're really serious about it. So like there can even be um, an infraction if you're called multiple okay. times your cell phone. So we're really trying our best to enforce it and just provide a, just a, a no cell phone zone in the classroom. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a little different when kids come into my office. Um, I know sometimes they need to decompress or listen to yeah. music. Um, my groups are very structured. So I'll give them like the first five minutes to in that last snap and that last pose, <laughs> you know, like you got, you got five <laughs> minutes to do that and then we're going to get ready. So um, I do try to give them a little bit of time to transition into the next class and take a peek at those phones for a quick second. Yeah. No, I, I, I figured that would be the answer just working with teens, but I also know like for myself, if at first, like when I say I like put my cell phone, I don't know, upstairs and I'm downstairs at first, I have that like, Oh, I need to check notifications. But after a while, like it feels good to not be attached. So I didn't know if there was any, like as the school year went on, kids were like, Oh, this is actually cool. But to your point, like kid, kids are smart. <laughs> yeah. And, and kids are very smart, right? And they're also very um, creative in how they handle difficulties. Yeah. Like I actually have students who bring me their cell phones at the beginning oh, wow. of the school day and they come get it at their lunch period. Um, okay. So, you know, there are students who are aware that this is a big hindrance for me. I know that I'm not going to do this. So um, and I don't know that they have that relationship for me. They can just drop it off and keep it moving. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you mentioned at the beginning that you just started back to school. I know I shared with you the county that I live in in South Carolina has already started back to school. So people are already back in school or about to start back at Mm -hmm. school. And so one Mm -hmm. thing I wanted to ask you about are some of the challenges that students face in that transition back to school. And then what can guardians, teachers, and other school staff do to really support students during that transition time? Absolutely. So um, I just think that parents should validate that everyone has the uh, 
first day jitters, right? We're all nervous, even teachers, right? Teachers yeah. and, and staff and faculty, everyone's like, oh my gosh, what is this school you're going to look like? So just to kind of normalize and validate that, yeah, I know that you're scared. It's okay. I know that you're worried. It's okay. Um, but also making sure that students know how to access the supports. Like, hey, your counselor is in room 252. Make sure that if you need that support, you go. So just making sure that kids um know the layout of the people who they can go to and most of the students already know that like mm-hmm. we said we make sure that the first day of school is just for freshmen only um i think it's really important for students to start with a um a sleep a normal and healthy sleep hygiene be consistent with that one of the things i always do as a parent i have three sons who are all out of the house thank goodness um, we made sure that we had a bedtime routine and mm-hmm. no matter what grade they were in, whether they're in high school or not at nine 30 cell phones came up to yeah. the bed, like disconnect, get ready for the next day. So having a routine is very, very important. Um, actually eight to 10 hours, you know, that's what mm-hmm. they, they say kids need at least eight to 10 hours. So because school deprivation can really show up with, um, you know, focus and just being tired throughout the day. Um, you know, when you don't get that sleep, it, you know, can increase impulsivity and just lack of attention. So definitely making sure that they have a nightly routine schedule, that they're eating healthy in the mornings, a good yeah. breakfast. Um, and that when they come home from school, everybody needs like a wind down time. You know, I know that parents, I have parents who are like, okay, you're home, let's get the homework out. Like when we get off work, we come in, we take our shoes off. I take my bra off and I'm ready to sit back and watch some mindless TV. I need need a reality show just to decompress from the day. And so I think we should expect that same thing from our students, Um, Mm -hmm. especially those kids who have extracurricular activities like sports clubs. Um, And just another good tip is planning ahead, right? Like, I know students get anxious about like, what is the school lunch is going to look like? Can you look at the menu ahead of time to say, okay, this is a day I definitely need to bring lunch. Um, I always tell my students, find out who your friends are having. Um, What period do you have advisory? Do you have a class with them? Do you have lunch with them? Um, So just kind of planning ahead and making sure that your kid is involved. Like school should feel like, community right and I don't know about other schools but our schools offer a plethora of sports and clubs and activities so the more involved the kid is in school the more successful they'll be um and yeah again I can't reinforce enough it's a it's okay to be afraid don't be afraid to be afraid and mostly everyone feels that way Mm -hmm. oh I I love so many of the things you said and resonate a lot because as our, my clients were preparing to go back to school, a lot of those things that you highlighted sleep has been probably the thing I've been working on most in the past couple of weeks of like, you know, mm-hmm. especially teenagers during the summer, they're staying up till 2 AM sleeping till 2 PM. And I'm like, okay, we have to work on your sleep mm-hmm. schedule because if you don't start working on it and you think suddenly the day before school, you're going to be able to go to bed at nine, (laughs) that's not going to work. And even the the jitters. And I love that you started with that and then wrapped around to that um, to really emphasize that because I tell the clients I work with, even if like 
you're entering your junior year of high school. So you've already been at the same high school. It's still different teachers, um, different classes, mm-hmm. you know, maybe different extracurriculars or feel like different pressures, things like that. And, you know, feeling anxious before the first day of school, whether it's a brand new school or the school you've been at for mm-hmm. years um, is really valid. And I love that you highlighted like even teachers and I'm, I'm sure other staff too are just as nervous to go back to school. Yeah. And I think another thing too, is that parents shouldn't be afraid to reach out to their school counselor or social worker to let them know, hey, um, incoming kid here who has a history of mental health issues. And most kids Mm -hmm. that do either have an IEP or a 504 plan to support them. But I've seen a lot where parents um, are fearful that if, if someone in the school finds out, then it could be detrimental to their kid. But the more we know and the sooner we know, the more support that we can provide. Yeah. So if you are a parent who has a kid, that may struggle with anxiety or school refusal or um, just, you know, depression or just mm-hmm. lack of motivation, please let your team know um, because I've done home visits. I've gone to oh, really? bedrooms and we're like, let's go. Your teachers are waiting for you. Like I, I have done that. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, I just like imagine this like teen kid, like, under the covers yeah. and then you walk but, in all like yeah, yeah. And, and when parents <laughs> find out that I will do that they're like oh my god are you kidding can you come tomorrow I'm like yeah <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome and I think you know the hesitancy still speaks to just the stigma that there is around mental health and fearing that their kid would be treated differently but to your point like if you all don't know that a kid struggles whether that be you know mental health or, I mean, I'm assuming if they have like a learning disability, it's probably on record, but even just like a big move or the loss of a, you know, a trauma, like loss of a family member that just happened, you all can't help and support the best to your ability if you don't have all the information. Absolutely. So kind of continuing on with like parents and, you know, ways parents can help what advice do you have for parents and guardians when it comes to supporting and optimizing their school-age child's mental health, both in school and outside of school? Um, I think the biggest thing is to just offer validation and acceptance, right? Like, I know that this school year seems scary, um, but also encourage them and motivate them. But I know you've got this. I'm here if you need me. Instead of, school's not that horrible. You're going to be Okay. Like really just giving them that validation and acceptance that they need, right? I get why this is scary for you. It's been a couple months. You've been out of school. Like I get it. I'm here if you need me, but really pushing them to kind of problem solve this thing on their own. Um, But most definitely to take their concerns seriously Um, because all of these emotions are normal, especially when it comes to like feeling stressed and feeling Mm -hmm. anxious about school. These things could feel debilitating. So really just taking their concerns seriously and offering um, space for them to talk about that openly. Um, But I think the biggest thing too is to avoid shaming. Like don't make them feel bad and give them like, what's the matter with you? Like what's wrong with you? Um, And just working with them and making sure that you understand that these things come up, these things happen. Again, sending out an email to your school social worker Mm -hmm. or your counselor um, 
And I just want to emphasize too, that when you're working with your school social worker, you know, like we really, really, really have confidentiality. Like what parents tell me about their kids, I don't disclose to teachers unless it's something that they ask. Um, And just making sure parents know to not wait until it's too late if they see their child struggling, because there's so many interventions in the school systems um, that their kids can be tapping into, like executive Mm -hmm. functioning support. Um, My school offers free tutoring every day after school. Um, So really knowing what the resources are in your school so that you can be prepared Mm -hmm. to help your kid to develop a, a, a game plan when they're struggling. Yeah. And I love that you really highlighted, and you've done this a couple of times during our discussion of like reaching out. Cause I know one thing you said earlier on is, you know, sometimes parents don't know how to like advocate mm-hmm. for their child. And, you know, if you're a parent listening and you might not know what resources are available in your school, just like Kalita said, or how to advocate, but sending that first email, mm-hmm. like you just said to the school social worker, school counselor, like, Hey, my child's struggling with X, Y, or Z. I don't even know where to start because someone like you could then, you know, give them information about what is available in the school. Absolutely. So I have absolutely loved our conversation. It's gone by really, really fast, but oh I also gosh, wanted to, <laughs> I also wanted to give you the opportunity to touch on anything that I haven't asked about that you feel might be important with regard to school social workers, your role, student mental health, anything um, that you feel like you want to say? You know, I know that the beginning of the school year, like you said, we have those jitters, it's scary, but school is like you said, students spend most of their time there. Make it fun. It doesn't have to be a scary place. You know, find your your people, your person. Uh, Don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, bring a buddy with you if there's something that you're not sure about. But school is fun. Activities and sports are fun. And these are where you're going to meet some of your lifelong friends. So go in with a positive attitude. And I know it's easier said than done, but you're going to, you may have that fear, but it's not going to be forever. You'll, you'll know that you'll get through it. Um, but school is an amazing place to be. And you have people like me who are there welcoming you with open arms and we make it such a big deal our first week back to school where students feel celebrated and appreciated. Um, and if you're a teacher who's listening, I think the most important thing to know is that students need to feel that they're in a classroom with someone who really knows them. Mm-hmm. Kids don't care about how much you know. Kids care about, do you care about them? So yeah. don't start the first week of school with those lesson plans and you're just going like get to know your students get to know who they are where they're coming from and they'll be more successful and ready to come to your classrooms I love that I think that's such an important message because yeah students I mean when I think of reflecting back on my time in school the teachers or the classes I enjoyed the most were the teachers that I felt like most cared about or like that they wanted to get to know me as a person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, whether or not the subject was something I was interested in or not. Yeah. If you hate math and your math teacher makes learning fun and they know you, they know you have three siblings and that you Mm -hmm. love, like you're more willing to be open and willing to just learn, even though you hate that subject. 
<laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So the last question I love to ask all my guests is where can people connect with you? If they're like, oh my gosh, I've learned so much. I want to see Kalita's content. I want to see her time at Harvard. <laughs> where can people connect with you? Absolutely. On social media, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Sassy Black Social Worker. And my website is erbconsulting.org. That's erbconsulting.org where you can sign up um, for counseling services if you're in the Illinois area. Um, again, I do presentations, workshops, so you can find all that information there. Awesome. And I will put the links to all of those in the show notes of this episode as well. But Kalita, thank you, thank you so much for joining me today. And I know the school year just started, so you're getting really busy. So I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk. I know I learned a lot. So I know this episode is going to be helpful for so many people. Thank you so much. And thank you, the listeners for joining for today's episode of Psych Talk. And I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.